Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us for a Resurrection Sunday message through Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 20, with Pastor John King. Well, good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you guys here, and for you visitors, again, welcome to our Easter service. We're glad you're here. And, uh, you know, this is one of our favorite days of the year as we get to celebrate our risen Savior today and be reminded of all the things that He's done for us. Today we're going to be in Matthew 28. Um, we're going to cover through ver verses 1 through 20. Today we'll be in Matthew 28. I'm not going to read all that up front. We'll just kind of go through the text as we, as we read it uh, along the way. But while you're turning there to Matthew 28, Verse 1, um, I had a thought this week, you know, one of my favorite Christian songwriters is Paul Veloche. And in 2003, he wrote a song called, All the Earth Will Sing Your Praises. It's a very simple praise song. It's just got one verse and a chorus. And the chorus goes like this. It says, he wrote, you lived, you died. You said in three days you would rise. You did. You're alive. You rule. You reign. You said you're coming back again. I know that you will. And all the earth will sing your praises. And the verse is very poignant as well because it encapsulates the wonderful work that Jesus did on our behalf at the cross. He wrote this, you took, you take our sins away, O God. You give, you gave your life away for us. You came down, you saved us through the cross. Now our hearts are changed because of your great love. Amen. And the song, you've probably heard it, we've done it here before. It ends with a repeating line, all the earth will sing your praises. And it's based on the biblical truth found in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. I don't think we have a slide for that. But in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Paul wrote this. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the, on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And at that name... The name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, all created people will bow the knee to Jesus at one, at, at, in a time and future. In verse 11 it says, And that every tongue, not only will the knees be bowed, but the tongues will speak, and they will confess, whether they're believers or not. They will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. 
And so today, we, along with probably one-third of this planet, eight billion people, we celebrate what took place between verses 8 and 9 of that passage I just read. Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen, he is risen indeed. Amen. Well, Lord, as we begin our message for today, this special Sunday message of Easter, let it be in our hearts to desire you, Lord. Put a desire in our hearts that wants to know you, that wants to grow closer to you, that wants to truly understand the meaning of resurrection and the hope that it is and the hope that it has for all of those who will call by your name in faith and trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, we just simply want to read the history of what took place 2,000 years ago. We want to read about it. We want to be reminded of the great work that you've done, the great plan that you have. All of man's plans will be put to the, laid to the side, even our own personal plans that aren't in alignment with you, Lord God. They will be laid to the side. And so, Father, we just ask that you would go before us. We come before you with humble hearts. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So you know what it was. It's the same day as today. It's the first day of the week. It's Sunday. And in verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Jesus had lived for 33 years. As we said from that song, Jesus, you lived and you died. And for the past three years, these ladies had walked with him through his earthly ministry. Mary Magdalene herself had been possessed by seven demons at one time. And Jesus personally cast them out. Not only were the ladies mourning the death of Jesus, they also came to anoint his body because when they witnessed his body being placed in the tomb on Friday evening after he'd been taken down from the cross, they realized that it was a hasty burial. And so they came and they brought spices to complete the embalming process. But we see, as the first day of the week began to dawn, which is Sunday. Now in case you were wondering, this is where the Christian church started the practice of meeting together on Sunday instead of the traditional Sabbath day of Saturday. It's what's become known as the Lord's Day. Amen. But they came to see the tomb. Now it wasn't just to, you know, out of curiosity. It was more to see. It means to really contemplate or to gaze and to observe in order to grasp, in order to understand what happened. They came to be close to their Lord, the one who had meant so much to them to mourn over him, and to think through all that had happened. You know, when you've gone through a, a difficult time in your life, sometimes, you know, when you have a quiet moment and the storm subsides, you think about what's happened. You, you see in your mind, you try to grasp and understand what's happening. What they expected to find was a sealed tomb guarded by Roman soldiers. 
even though they'd spent three years being taught by Jesus, they ministered to him. They were eyewitnesses of his miracles. They believed in their hearts and minds that Jesus was not just a prophet, but also the very son of God. But they also had seen him murdered three days prior. We also know that along the way, over in Mark chapter 16, verse 3, they had wondered and they said to themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? This heavy stone that had been placed and sealed by the Roman guard. Surely these two women couldn't do it. It was so heavy, it would take the entire Roman guard to put it in position. It weighed several hundred pounds. Remember we said earlier that Jesus... You said, Jesus, that you would, in three days, that you would rise. Jesus predicted that. But their words and their behavior tell us that these ladies were not expecting a risen Jesus. Despite the fact that at least on four occasions, in Matthew alone, he had spoken to his disciples about the, his death and resurrection. In Luke 18, 31 through 34, he took the 12 aside and he said, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. But notice he said, and the third day he will rise again. Amen. And he said this to them several times. But notice in verse 34 of Luke, he kind of explains it. Because you're wondering, why would they not expect a risen Lord? Why would they come so grim and so, you know, downtrodden? In verse 34 it says, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not know the things which were spoken. You know, there were skeptics then, there are skeptics today, but there are fewer skeptics than ever. And the reason for that, and I mean skeptics about being skeptical of whether or not Jesus actually died, he was actually crucified. There are actually people who would bring this to question. And, you know, all you got to do is you can do a Google search about the death of Jesus. And even the most hardened scholarly atheists will attest to the fact that Jesus Christ himself was crucified. Many have spoken it. Jesus commanded, uh, it says here, that the baptism and crucifixion of Jesus command the most universal assent and rank so high on the almost impossible to doubt or deny scale of historical facts that they are often starting points for the study of the historical Jesus. So Jesus' life cannot be denied. It's a historical fact even by those who do not believe in Christianity. Even by those who hate Christianity, they cannot deny it. And the fact that he was crucified cannot be denied either. But where the faith comes in is, was he resurrected? Did he rise? And that's where the devil gets in. You know, the devil's smart in a sense. He knows what battles to choose. And we'll see that a little bit later. How while the ladies were worshiping Jesus, the enemy was at work speaking against the plans of God. 
But one way, you know, back to the tomb, back to the scene where they're, they're mourning over the Lord. One way that you and I, we try to cope with grief is to stay busy, don't we? These dear ladies, they came to anoint Jesus' body. And as Christians or people just on this planet, anybody who's alive, if you've lived long enough, you've experienced grief and loss. Not everybody's experienced it in an equal measure, but we know what it feels like. And so if you're a believer, as you grieve, as we grieve, we can also be thinking and meditating on the Lord, which will help us to understand Him, which will prepare our hearts to receive His truth. Now, I realize in a very traumatic situation, an accident, something that's happening, you're not thinking about anything. You're just, you're wondering what's going on. But there will be peace in the storm of your life, and you will be able to think and meditate on Him. And in this case, the ladies were being prepared by God to believe the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. It is said earlier, He is risen. In other words, we said it many times. So the song that I quoted said, you lived, you died. You said in three days you would rise. And you did. Amen. Look at verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. I like that part. I mean, you know, when an angel gets tired, he could sit down, right? I'm not making fun of it. This is real. Now we know who would solve the problem of rolling the stone back that the ladies had expressed. And it says that there was a great earthquake. Now, this was the second earthquake that occurred in that region that was felt in the past three days. The first one was Jesus breathed his last on the cross. I don't have a slide for this. Matthew 27, 51, it says, when Jesus breathed his last, it says, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Now, I don't have to tell you that earthquakes are very common and that there is much to be said about them. But in the scriptures, God uses earthquakes as tokens of his power, his presence, and even sometimes his anger. So these weren't just natural earthquakes. They were supernatural. And they coincided with two of the greatest events that have ever taken place. The first is the fact that Jesus lived a sinless life. That he died on the cross innocent of any crime. So that we could be set free from the guilt and punishment of our sins. And the second was that Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death. So that we who have trusted in his great sacrifice can be also raised from the dead, both physically and spiritually. Amen. Notice verse 3, you're following along this angel, his countenance, and there were actually two of them. But this particular one was being, attention was drawn to him. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. He didn't change into his earthly uniform, if you will. Sometimes angels do appear as plain men. And sometimes we don't realize that they have appeared among us. That could be a test from the Lord. But this divine encounter, we see now the cause of the earthquake. The cause of that great earthquake was the fact that this angel had come down and rolled that stone down. Rolled it, rolled it away from the tomb. And notice the guards. Remember, there was a, a Roman guard, maybe 16 men that were placed to guard this tomb. 
And they shook with fear. They were shaken in their sandals. In fact, they were so fearful that they fell down like dead men. They passed out from the sight. And they appeared to be lifeless. As you read through the Bible, we will see over and over again the typical effect of what happens when a human makes physical contact by seeing and hearing an angel speak. I guarantee that each and every one of you, and myself included, if I saw and heard an angel speak, we would all fall down on our faces. And we would be waiting to hear, do not be afraid. See, the angels didn't come to speak to the Roman guards, even though God displayed his awesome power through what he had done. But the message from the angels, and from God in heaven, were to these disciples, to these ladies. And so, as we said in verse 5, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that, what, that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. If you ever encounter an angel from heaven, you want to hear those words right away. Do not be afraid. Otherwise, you would probably be like those soldiers, so struck with fear that you would pass out, or even worse. But notice he says, for I know that you seek Jesus. You see, this is a personal message through the divine messenger. God knows if you're seeking him. He knows your heart. People can't see through your face. And they can't tell what you're thinking often. But God can. He, know, he not only knows what you're thinking, he knows what's in your heart. What your desire is. And so his message to the women, to the disciples, and for everyone who is seeking Jesus, is to say, He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come now, see the place where the Lord lay. Again, from that song, you lived, you died, you said in three days you would rise, you did. And they offered proof right there. For He is risen. To recall the dead to life. The angels, there were two of them, I remind you, they had rolled the stone. Not that Jesus could escape, he's God. He could go through walls, he could raise him. You know, he didn't have to have the angels open the tomb for him to get away, to, to be able to get out. He wasn't being released. No, it was so that the disciples could come in for themselves and see proof of the tomb that was empty. And while they're doing that, in all the amazement that they have, notice he gives, them an he gives them an order. He says, basically, and go quickly, in verse 7, and tell his disciples. The first part of the message was personal. Come and see. We know your heart and that you seek Jesus. But now they were given a command. And it says, and indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. Again, Jesus predicted this as well. You know, he's been telling them this all along. Jesus revealed what was going to happen. In Matthew 26, 31 through 32, it says, when he was speaking to him, he says, Then he said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, the night that he was crucified. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So the, the apostles, those who had walked with him, 
They had scattered. They had gone. They were, they'd, you know, they were thinking about how to carry on their life, going back to fishing or whatever it was that they did for their occupations. He said, but in verse 32, he says, but after I have been raised, after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. In other words, he's going to meet them there. And so this heavenly message came through these ladies, from the, from the uh, angels to the ladies. And so what did they do in verse 8? They went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to bring his disciples word. They had fear and great joy. They were influenced by two emotions. They were still frightened by what they saw, but they had gladness from what they heard. And they ran to bring his disciples word. You see, these ladies were the first to see the proof and hear the news of Jesus' resurrection. Perhaps you can relate to the emotions that these ladies were having. You know, you've had a close call, a brush with death, a near miss. You almost died on the accident on the highway. Maybe you've had a bad dream. And when you come through it unscathed and healthy, you're still shaking from the experience, but you're joyful that you're present, that you're there, that you're okay, that everything, you know, all your parts are still there. You're not, you're not maimed. You're not destroyed. You're not laying, dying in a bed. And so they had these two emotions. They were basically propelling them to obey what God had said and go bring the message to the, to the disciples. If you're a Christian and then you've had time to reflect on the fear and dread as we came Friday night of Jesus being mocked and he was beaten, he was crucified on the cross. But at the same time, we come to a Good Friday service and we hear about the seven final words that Jesus spoke on the cross. And we're filled with joy and gladness because we know the work that he did was so important to our salvation. It was the thing that assured our salvation. And if that's you and you've had that experience, then you have a message to share. Because you can now go and tell others about Jesus. The women, as I said earlier, would now encounter Jesus, as we're going to read here in a second. But at the same time, the soldiers are going to be bribed by the Jewish high priests. Verse 9, having received their instruction from the angels, it says, And they went to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and they held him by the feet, and they worshipped him. You, you lived... You died. You said in three days you would rise. You did. And you're alive. When Jesus said rejoice, it's, it's if you have a King James Version, it says all hail. Pay attention. Rejoice. It is real. But notice that they came and they held him. You know, they knew they were going to have to go tell the apostles. But when they saw Jesus, they did not 
want to let him go. No. And they just, you know, you could imagine they just held him by the feet. And they would see those nail, the holes in his feet. They would have seen the scars, the holes in his hands, the scar in his side if he, if he, was, if he showed it to them. But they came and held him. They didn't want to let go. You know, Jesus is nearer to us than we think, isn't he? Amen. But then Jesus said to them, the same thing the angels said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Do not be afraid. The heavenly message is the same. Go and tell my brethren. You see, the message, the message is the same. And the, basically, the call is the same then as it is now. Do not be afraid. Jesus would say, take my yoke upon you. Do not be afraid. I am lowly and gentle in heart. I have a mission for you if you know me. Go tell others about me. Now we still live in a fallen world. And even though Jesus had did all that, he did all the work, he accomplished salvation. He defeated death and sin on the cross. But God is still waiting for the world to come and all those who will surrender their life to him before he returns in judgment. And in the meanwhile, we know that we, there's a, we live in a fallen world and evil is allowed to exist. And notice here in verse 11, evil continued then and it continues today. The soldiers are bribed. While Jesus is being worshipped, the enemy is at work trying to come against God's plans. We see it all the time. Maybe there was a, and maybe it was hard getting out of the house this morning. Maybe there was an argument between you and your spouse. Uh, I'm glad we didn't have one, but uh, it happens, right? You know, coming here today, there could have been all kinds of obstacles for you to come. What if you haven't ever been in church before? Or you haven't been in a long time? See, the enemy is at work trying to come against God's plans. But here you are today. Here we are today together to celebrate. But we know, it says in verse 11, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came unto the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. Okay, they weren't denying the fact that they had seen an angel, that they saw the angel roll the stone away, that the tomb was empty, and they passed out. And they went and told the chief priests this. <laughs> Why didn't they go tell Pilate? Well, because Pilate would have had him put to death. Because for a Roman soldier to fail on his watch and let that tomb go get molested in the eyes of the authorities would cost them their life. So they said, well, maybe we'll go talk to the chief priests. Maybe they can help us out. And when they had assembled with the elders, they consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. You know, it's been said that every man has his price. And you know they didn't settle for just a small amount. But they gave him instructions. They said, here's the money in verse 13. Now tell them, oh, his disciples came at night and they stole them away while we slept. They wouldn't dare tell that to Pilate. 
but they wanted to perpetuate the lie because the enemy is a liar. Satan is a liar. And here we have what's known, and there's many theories, but I'm just going to talk about this one, the stolen body theory. By examining this story, says one writer, we see that it actually proves the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We live in a skeptical world. Every, even now while I'm speaking, some of you are Googling what I'm saying. I, I accept that. And if I'm wrong, please come tell me. We live in a skeptical world. If Jesus' body was stolen, he writes, then it was, either, it was taken either by his friends or his enemies. His friends could not have done it since they had left the scene and were convinced that Jesus was dead. They hadn't, you know, assuming that the disciples had not been told yet. And his enemies would not steal his body because belief in his resurrection was what they were trying to prevent. You know, it was known that he told the, the chief priest, he says, you tear down this temple, I'll build it back in three days, I'll rise again, speaking of his resurrection. And they would have defeated their own purposes if they had removed his body. And if they had taken it, why did they not produce it and silence the witness of the early church? Why was Jesus' body, you know, the stolen body, why did that witness continue even now, 2,000 years later? And if anyone stole the body, would they have taken the body with the, without the grave clothes? Would they have left the grave clothes if you were going to steal a body? There was hardly a scene of grave robbery. Yet, that was the lie through the bribe to the guards to try and corrupt the message. In fact, the priests know, you look at verse 14, and if this comes to the governor's ears, Pilate, we will appease him and make you secure. You see, these chief priests were ready to spend whatever it took to bribe Pilate as well. And so in verse 15, they took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Matthew's letter, Matthew's account of the gospel was written 30 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. And early church history will tell us that even, you know, out to 170 AD, 140, 150 years later, this lie was being perpetuated. Uh, Justin Martyr said that the Jews dispersed the story by means of special messengers and they sent it to every country in the known world to keep the lie going. So even though the devil has been defeated and sin and death have been defeated and the evil lie still exists and he still seeks to kill, to steal and destroy. And while the women were worshiping Jesus, some of the soldiers and the chief priests were plotting to destroy the witness of the resurrection. And it's the same today. While the true church of Jesus is worshiping him, those who are blinded and held captive to Satan's lies are now trying to destroy it. Everywhere you look. Mark Twain once wrote that a lie can go around the world while truth is still lacing up her boots. There is something in human nature that makes it easy for people to believe lies. 
And being willing to stand for the truth can cost you your life and your livelihood. Those of you who uh, watched the Jesus Revolution, and I, you know, some of us watched it three times, and maybe some of you even more, you might recall when uh, the actor Kelsey Grammer brought this Time magazine cover and he presented it before his congregation. And the cover of the Time magazine, Is God Dead, was the big you know, question mark. And that was published on April 8th, 1966. Now in 1966, Easter Sunday was celebrated on April 10th. That means that the magazine, the question, Is God Dead, was put into circulation on the Passion Week and may have hit the newsstands on Good Friday. And so that's, that's you know, because that question, Is God Dead, that, that leads to this intellectual discussion in, in that time. And back then, there were a lot more Christians in our nation. But the lie is still being perpetuated. And that's why we're here today, because we know that God is not dead. Amen? Amen. This passage today ends with the final four verses, uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, known as the Great Commission. Remember the song? You rule, you reign. You said you're coming back again. I know that you will, and all the earth will sing your praise. Verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. You know, they had a rendezvous. They had a place they were going to meet. The 11, which was minus the 12, minus the betrayer, Judas Iscariot. In verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. You see, it's still a mixed bag when it comes to faith, isn't it? Some people just, they're not ready to accept even his own disciples doubted all that he had told them. And he stood right before them. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You rule. You reign. This authority, exosia, this is power. Jesus has been given the right to use his authority in his teaching, his healing, his power to forgive sins, and his authority over Satan. In other words, he has all authority. And he said to them, the famous passage, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When he says, go therefore, this is an activity for all Christians. Not just your pastor, not just your church leaders. You know, many ways in our society, we have it backwards. We, some churches think that if they hire the pastor, that he'll do everything. He'll preach the word. He'll be the evangelist. He'll visit the sick. He'll visit the poor. He'll take care of everything. And, and the church is simply spectators to all of that. And that's not what God has for us. We are all called to go. It's an activity for all Christians. 
and make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is one who has believed on Jesus Christ and expressed their faith by being baptized. He remains in the fellowship of the believers that he might be taught the truth of the faith. And he is then able to go out and win others and teach them. And this was the pattern for the New Testament church. He said to make disciples, and he said in verse 20, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You lived, you died. You said in three days you would rise, you did, you're alive. You rule, you reign. You said you're coming back again. I know that you will, and all the earth will sing your praises. Jesus would be present for 40 days after this, and he would be seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. He would later instruct his disciples to remain in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And just before he ascended up to heaven and while they were gathered together one last time, the scriptures record. And his, his apostles, at this, even at this moment, they still thought that he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus had to give them an answer. But, you know, before he went, was ascended into heaven, he had to say it one more time. And he said in Acts 1, 7 and 8, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. I wonder who those two were. I wonder if it was the same two angels that had come down. To show the empty tomb. And they said to the men. Men of Galilee. Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. Will so come in like manner. As you saw him go into heaven. Amen. And the scriptures tell us. That at the second, second coming of Jesus Christ. He will come and descend in the clouds. And every eye that's alive and on planet earth that day. Will see. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus had often predicted that he would rise, that he would be resurrected. But the disciples did not understand this. So they did not expect it. But it did happen. Where does that place you today? It's a question for you. The Bible claims that Jesus is coming back. And perhaps you don't understand this. You may acknowledge Jesus and even agree that he's the son of God. But like the ladies at the empty tomb, you're not expecting him to return. I would like to give you the opportunity today to consider what would happen if Jesus returned today. Where do you stand when it comes to Jesus? Jesus. 
Are you ready to stand before him and give an account for the life that you've lived so far? The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The scriptures declare that in our own strength and by our own good works, we are not worthy to enter heaven. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever looked at someone with lust? Or have you used God's name in vain? The Bible says that we all have. And therefore, we could be subject to God's judgment because he's the perfect judge and he's sinless. And his perfect judgment would result if you stood before God to be judged for your sins that all have committed, it would result in internal separation from God in hell. But what if I told you that God has provided a free gift of mercy to you? What if you were in a court for a speeding ticket and someone came and paid your fine on your behalf? I think we have a state trooper here today. Oh, two of them actually. And you can verify what I'm saying. Somebody goes to court for a speeding ticket and somebody comes in and pays the fine. What does the judge do? He has to let you go. And the same is true when you accept the payment that Jesus made on your behalf at the cross. The Father would then accept that payment and not have to judge you for your sins. John 3.16, we know it well. We're going to read John 3.16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I'm going to ask that we would just simply bow our heads right now, all of us. Please don't look around. I'll, I'll, I just would ask you just to bow your heads as we discuss this a little bit further. God has provided salvation for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you will come to Him by faith, you will be forgiven and you received His gift of eternal life. He who is the Savior, Jesus Christ, will become your Savior. But the opposite is true as well. All who reject God's offer of salvation will stand condemned and will only see God's face in that final judgment. Not the face of a loving father, but the face of a just judge. If you're here this morning, and maybe you've been thinking and wrestling in your heart, what does this all mean? Do I really know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? If you know that in your heart, it won't be something to be mistaken because he's taken a hold of him. You, you would cling to Jesus' feet. But if you're wrestling with the idea of surrendering and admitting that you're a sinner and surrendering your life to God, I would ask you to soften your heart right now before him.
And if, if today isn't the day that you're ready to do that, I would ask that you think about what was said today, that your word, the word of God was preached, and the fact that people gather all the time. For 2,000 years, the church has been gathering to celebrate Jesus Christ. But if you are ready to maybe make that commitment, you don't have all the answers, you don't understand the Bible very well, but you know in your heart that something's missing. You know deep down that you want to be made right with God, but you just don't know how. I'm here to tell you that it's a very simple, it's a very simple thing to lay your heart before the Lord. It's as basic as the ABCs. A, you need to admit that you have done wrong. You need to admit and agree with God that you are a sinner. And you need to ask for his forgiveness. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. But 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So admit what you've done. Admit that you need a Savior. And then B, believe. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again as payment for your sins. It's been the entire subject of today, the fact that he rose again. But you have to believe that he did it as payment for your sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to clean your act up. He died for you while you were still a sinner. So admit your need. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your behalf. And then see, confess and choose. Confess and choose to allow God to be in charge of your life. Matthew 16, 24 said, then, then said Jesus to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Amen. Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. It's not some complicated theological, doctrinal teaching. It's that simple. Admit your need. Believe Jesus died and confess and choose to follow him. And he will enter your heart and he will forgive you. Romans 10.13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. With our heads bowed, let's continue, Lord. If you, if you today, maybe you just need prayer or maybe you wanted to make a decision for Christ. Will you raise your hand? Nobody can see you. Would you raise your hand today so that I can see that you're hearing this message? Thank you. Thank you. If you need prayer afterwards, we'll set aside some time to, to get with the pastors, my wife and Pastor John and Miss Heidi. Come see us. If you've made that decision or you have more questions you'd like to ask, we'll be up at the front of the church after this last song. But I would ask that you would just simply 
Surrender your life to Jesus. Stop fighting the battle. The battle's already been won on your behalf. So Lord, we thank you for our service today. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that you've brought to our hearts. And Lord, we thank you that we can rejoice, as you said to those women, as you met them outside the tomb, that we can rejoice, that we can worship you in spirit and truth. Go before us today in all the things that we would do. I pray this now in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord. cross where your love poured out bring me to my knees lord i lay me down rid me of myself i belong to you
cross will your love pour out bring me to my knees lord i lay me down rid me of myself bless you and keep you may his face shine upon you and just be gracious to you and give you peace if you need prayer please see the pastors please take advantage of that if you need prayer if you don't know christ and you want to come to christ take the moment now paul would say that today is the day of salvation do not squander it do not waste it do not listen to the enemy that says tomorrow 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 you know we're not promised tomorrow not on this earth tomorrow will come if you know christ and you die tomorrow will be in heaven if you don't know christ and you die tomorrow will be in hell that's just the reality of it all but god made a way for you to not go to hell but please understand salvation the goal of salvation is to get right with your creator everything else is a perk staying out of hell is a perk getting into heaven it's a perk salvation is getting right with your creator they're up here waiting if you need that prayer after i'm done praying please take advantage of it today thank you for joining us today for calvary chapel elizabeth city's online sermon series join us next week as we continue through the bible book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.